Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here with Keith Townsend. Welcome to the next episode of Greybeards on Storage Podcast, a show where we get Greybeard storage bloggers to talk with system vendors to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. This Greybeards on Storage episode was recorded on August 15, 2019. We have with us here today an old friend, Jim Handy, General Director of Objective Analysis. This is the fifth time we've had Jim on the show for our annual Post-Flash Memory Summit. So, Jim, why don't you tell us what you saw at Flash Memory Summit 19 and what's going on in the flash market? Well, I'll tell you one thing that I saw when I was there was you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was a really crowded show. And so uh, I, I... God has gotten big. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that, that, you know, even though I kept seeing you on other sides of Windows and stuff like that, you and I never had a chance to speak while we were at the show. Yeah, these things happen. Yeah. We're both very busy. You're you're more busy than I am at the show. You do a lot of the lead-ins discussions and stuff like that, right? Yeah. One of the biggest things that I do during the show is the very first morning I give an overview of the flash memory market, where it is now and where it's been. And, you know, this is a very tough time for the business because um, prices pretty much decayed all the way through uh, 2018. And, uh, you know, then hot on the heels of that, um, uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, DRAM prices collapsed, which was, that's, that's like the other thing that is made by three of the major uh, NAND flash firms. And so those guys Yeah, so both, both sides of their, uh, their business uh, model have, have collapsed. Not a good sign, but uh, they've, they've seen this sort of thing before, right? I mean, it's not like it's a new gig. No, it's, you know, one of the things that I make money at is telling people it's going to happen again, um, because... Every time everybody yeah, says, no, it's go. different this time. It's never going to go down. Or, you know, when it's down in the dumps and they say it's never going to go up again. And, you know, guess what? It does. Yeah. So does this ever translate into cheaper SSDs and, and, and you know, the enterprise level? Or does that take a while? No, very much so. As a matter of fact, I was looking at a curve that I had drawn of flash prices that I think said in uh, 2001 or something like that, the flash was $10,000 a gigabyte, and now it's about a nickel. So, you know, things have changed an awful lot. <laughs> so, so, yeah, for the enterprise guys, uh, we've had, um, you know, the flash price has been going down since the beginning of 2008, and so enterprise SSD prices have gone down. But usually uh, what the way that your uh clients look at it is not so much that the prices have gone down for a certain um, capacity level, but instead that they're getting more capacity for the same price. So, you know, if they're in the market for $500 SSDs, then that $500 SSD is going to be maybe six times as large this year as what they would have been able to buy for $500 last year. Six times. Well, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Cause, cause we went from 25 cents per gigabyte for a flash down to about five cents. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I understand. Maybe five times. Yeah. Anyways, lots less, lots less. Yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah. That's that's uh, that's because of the the transition to three D as as well as just the uh, the overproduction. Well, yeah, it actually both of them kind of tied into each other because three D didn't come online as quickly as everybody thought it would, and it wasn't until they hit the sixty four layer um, configuration that it actually became profitable for anybody to make. And so what they were doing was they were continued to extend the life of old planar NAND flash. And um, by doing that, they, they, you know, because they were having problems, there arose the shortage. And uh, then once the shortage was over, boy, was it over. It became an oversupply, like, you know, in the wink of an eye. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, it kind of reminds me of robotics, you know, oscillating from one end to another or something like that. But it's uh, certainly a challenge to, in that market that has to be managed, I would say. Yeah, but, you know, that's that's nothing that anybody on this phone call really has to worry about because they don't own NAND flash fabs. <laughs> well, you know, NAND flash fabs probably $6 billion these days, uh, maybe more. Double that. Double that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm priced on the market already then. Let me just, you know, uh, if, you know, because we don't have to talk about market dynamics for the whole call, but let me just put a, a you know, quick cap on that as to where we are, is that during um, the, the, the cycle that DRAM and NAND flash go through is that there will be a shortage, prices will stay flat, or for DRAM, you know, we had a really rare year last year where the prices actually went up. Um, but anyway, uh, typically they go flat. And meanwhile, costs continue to come down because of Moore's law. And uh, so you've got this growing gap between price and cost. And when the oversupply hits, then the prices collapse down to cost. The only thing that keeps them from going below cost is that there are trade sanctions um, found against uh, people who uh, sell below cost. And so, so they're disciplined not to do that. So, so right now, NAND flash prices are at cost. So last year you had about a 60% price drop this year for it to follow cost, which is about a 30% annual price drop. And what we're expecting to see is because of, you know, capital spending that went on, uh, you know, basically people did too much capital spending in 2016, 17, or I'm sorry, 2017 and 18 then we end up uh, with an oversupply as a consequence of that in 2019-2020. But um, now Chinese manufacturers will be ramping up right when the market is about to go back into a shortage again. So that's going to prevent it from coming out of a shortage until 2021. And so what your uh, audience will, will be noticing is that NAND flash prices have dropped significantly Sorry, NAND flash prices have dropped significantly this year, and they'll continue to drop um, in uh, 2020 and in 2021 before they finally level off and you know become stable for a couple of years in 2022, 2023. So 30% per year cost declines this year and next year for SSD. Great for us, not so much for uh, the folks producing it. No, no, you know they'll it'll be difficult for them. So but I do have a question around because you, we do want a healthy market. You you can't uh, have your producers taking a loss because ultimately that hurts the overall industry. Are we at risk of you know people basically basically exiting this business? Um, that's a good question, Keith. And uh, you know, so far in DRAM. There have been a lot of companies that exited the business. Back in the middle 90s, I counted 28 manufacturers, and now there are three. Um, NAND Flash has a little bit of a different dynamic because of the fact that it is growing really, really strongly right now. It's got 45% annual uh, gigabyte growth, and that will fuel outside investment to keep businesses propped up. So I would expect for NAND Flash to do all right. DRAM might see some more consolidation. We might go from three vendors down to two in DRAM. Huh. And, and, and the Chinese fabs are, are starting to come online with their own manufacturing, right? I mean, in, in addition to the, the three or four others. 
Yeah, they're they're tooling up to do it, and you know it's it's if if you look at it from their perspective, it's the most reasonable thing in the world. These guys have a lot of cash, and they are buying all of their chips from outside. As a matter of fact, they buy more chips. You know, they they spend more on foreign chip purchases than they oh, spend on oil. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so so. Develop um, uh, domestic source of supply, and so that's what yeah, they're after yeah. right now. You know, there's there's a lot of saber rattling and people, you know, uh, pitching their voices up about uh, Chinese threat and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's just a very natural thing that yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understand. Well, we always said that data was the new oil, and here we have an example of it almost. Yeah, and I think the semiconductor manufacturers would dislike having uh, be said that they had greasy products. <laughs> Uh, well, we can take that metaphor and throw it away, I guess. But uh, so, what else is being what What else happened at Flash Memory Summit? There seemed to be a lot of discussion on computational storage more than last year. Yeah, there were a few companies who had that in there, and this one was tried earlier on with hard drives. Um, and now the SSD guys are trying to harness the processor inside their uh, SSDs to do some computation. You want to you want to describe what computational storage is, Jim? Yeah, what what they do is uh, the the there's a little bit of a computer uh, inside each SSD, and all of the storage is right there. So rather than move data all the way to the main processor in the system, uh, the idea is to use the processing inside the SSD to do a part of the processing. So smaller tasks can be done right there without moving the data all over the place. I was tried by a storage guy once or twice before, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting concept, and you know maybe the time has come for it now. I saw NetInt there, and they were doing something focused on video uh, transcoding. Yeah, that's one that I missed, so I can't really comment on them. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I would call it minimal. They were talking about almost running a container level functionality on the ssd itself and then video transcoding is not um, not not lightweight i would say yeah the the big things that they're trying to do is to find out which things involve more data movement than actually the uh, data processing and so they try not to put too much of a processor inside the ssd but uh, just try to do the tasks that involve smaller amounts of processing. And maybe video transcoding is something that actually involves a whole lot more data movement than actual manipulation. I think it's something you do it over and over again. It's something that can be, um, I'll call it distributed out, you know, and, and different chunks of data could be processed at each, each uh, node. And if it happens to be the SSD, then you don't even have to move the data that much, but you're doing uh, a lot of data bandwidth intensive stuff. Keith, wouldn't you say, I, I don't know, are, are you in, in the media entertainment space? Encoding is requires GPUs to really be effective. So I would say that, you know, for it to be at, on the SSD, uh, you know, I spent a lot of money on GPUs to encode, you know, for, to do my stuff. So it, it, I think it depends on the codec and, and the bit rate and what they're trying to accomplish. But I can see it being the application, what I've seen is people talk more of, uh, I think, Ray, is more in your wheelhouse, 
uh, for AI and the ability to do inference and neural net stuff. The the closer you can move CPU to the storage, the the better. Uh, that's been that's been more of the applications I've seen, and mainly it's been in a storage array and not necessarily on the SSD. Itself. Yeah, yeah. So I'm back in the '90s when I was working for a storage company. We were doing um, you know specific database types of things and and sorts and stuff. We were trying to move sort functionality out to the storage system. And it worked for a little bit, and there were certain certain customers that, that liked it, you know. But finding a um, you know a universal solution out there, like being able to run a container on an SSD, that that's got some interesting legs to it, I think. Yeah, there's something going on in it in the industry now where uh, the standards bodies are getting involved pretty early on. Yeah, so that should that should help out with this. You know, maybe maybe it was a lack of standards that was a problem before. Some something that that is a little bit of a tough decision though is how much processor do you want to put into the memory because or into the SSD because uh, typically you don't have an awful lot of DRAM in an SSD and once you start moving processing in there then you start wanting to bulk up the DRAM and maybe bulk up the processor some more. Yeah, memory. Yeah more cores and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it seemed like it was pretty straightforward to add a couple of ARM cores. Now, maybe it's not from a chip perspective, but you know, it, it seems like as the, I'll call it Moore's law, gets more and more farther down the path, you're, you're getting more chip cores is a pretty straightforward uh, thing to do. It doesn't really have that much incremental cost. The DRAM and the, and the support logic to support it, that's a different game. Yeah, I think that the A16Z guys did a deep dive on this a few months ago. And I think it might have been Martin Casado that was talking about this, but the concept, or it could have been Andreessen or Forrest, one of the two, the, the talked about the concept of Moore's Law that at some point they still believe that CPUs at a certain threshold will basically be free. So I'm wondering if the, these computational computing guys will are kind of banking on that. General question for either one of you: How much headroom is in a CPU that's in a typical SSD? Like, how much capacity to do anything other than the functions that a basic SSD does is is left? You know, what's the utilization level of a of a of an SSD control CPU? I, I don't know. I would say it's pretty low. Yeah, the the way that they choose how much processing power to put into the SSD is that they determine. What is the greatest workload that they'd uh, like to specify the SSD for? And the absolute worst possible workload would be one that just did tons of writing because you end up having to um, clean out spaces. And one of those weird quirks about NAND flash is that you have to erase everything before you write to it. And yeah, yeah, and it's really awful. <laughs> A lot of garbage collection going on. A lot of a lot of work to support that sort of workload uh, at at speed. So right? I guess the but, assumption is is that at some point ARM prices are going to get so low that individual chip design for SSDs may not make sense, and it could just you just go and buy a couple of ARM cores to go into an SSD, which would be overkill for uh, most SSDs and you end up with mm -hmm. extra capacity just because of Moore's law that Moore's law is outpacing the need for compute inside of an SSD is kind of my layman assumption. Yeah. I, I think that's there today, right? Yeah. Yeah. They could give those things away for free. So, <laughs> and, 
And, you know, I think I mentioned that Samsung has six cores inside one of their processors. They're, they're I think, the, the top of the heap as far as how many cores they're willing to throw at a Fastest, problem. Yeah. But um, they're really there. And, right. you know, this, it, it's interesting that that Moore's Law is what's allowing NAND flash to become cheaper and cheaper. But it's also the thing that's allowing the processors inside the SSDs to get more and more powerful. It seems like these guys are having a real day in the sun. The hyperscalers seem to be the companies that are the most interested in computational storage right now. Um, but it's a little bit hard to tell with them because very often they'll buy a sizable number of products to go into some uh, sandbox effort, and then they'll end up shifting directions and just dropping it. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see whether or not this becomes real mainstream stuff. So another thing at the Flash Memory Summit that I thought was interesting was uh, Toshiba's XCL NAND. Uh, it didn't wasn't clear to me what they were trying to do there, but they claim it's a, a storage class memory kind of thing. Did you hear that, uh, Jim? Yeah, it kind of turned my stomach. <laughs> Why is that? It's NAND Flash. All it is is it's SLC NAND flash is faster, and also it's got what are called multiple planes, which means that you have one chip that, like, it's actually, I think it was 16 chips. And so you can uh, exercise an awful lot of parallelism inside that one chip and, you know, get, get a lot more speed by doing that. You're saying it's SLC flash? It is. Oh, my God. Well, I would explain, I guess I explain the endurance levels and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, really great. Uh, and SLC always has been great, but SLC is a niche market. And because of that, even though technically you would expect SLC flash to cost only twice as much as MLC flash or three times as much as TLC, um, SLC flash actually costs or is selling for about 10 times as much. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's you know, a huge price difference. And, and you look at it and DRAM is only about 20 times as much as NAND flash. And so you, you get an SSD that's maybe six times as fast as an AND flash SSD, and it costs almost as much as DRAM, and I just can't picture there being much of a market for something like that. Was it, does it play in the Optane space? I mean, is it roughly equivalent price kind of thing per gigabyte? Yeah. Yeah, so that's the other side of it, right? Yeah, that's the, 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 what, what they're trying to do, and, and Samsung is trying to do the same thing too. They, Samsung announced their ZNAND a couple of years ago and their ZSSD. And the idea is that there are two places where Optane is playing. One is in the NVMe SSD space, and then the other one is um, into the memory channel as um, a, a DIM. Um, you know, ever since I first heard about that, I said, well, this doesn't make an awful lot of sense. They're not going to sell very many SSDs. Everybody's going to want the DIM product because that's going to really perform. Um, and, you know, it seems like they've had some success with their SSDs, but, you know, certainly not enough for both Toshiba and Samsung to want to take that business away from them. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying to circum circumvent, some, kind of go around that, really, with, with a NAND technology that they think they can support. It's not actually easy for me to say, but <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the big deal is that Intel's got this. And my suspicion is that the Optane SSD is mostly selling, you know, or has been for the past year because the uh, Optane, well, I, I should use the official Intel name. It's called um, Optane DC Persistent Memory. That's the DIM product. Yeah. 
and and I think that's probably going to cannibalize the um, the SSD obtain SSD market. Well, I would thought you know it would start the you know the volume production would increase, therefore the cost would come down. They maybe reduce the price of the Optane SSDs. Maybe there would be a place where they could start gaining some traction, but but I don't know. Yeah, they're losing a ton of money right now. A different session where I spoke um, at the Flash Memory Summit actually shows how much money Intel was losing when everybody else was uh, you know profiting handsomely. Yeah, yeah, so. not a good not a good place to be for long. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, my the thing that I've started to quip about is that that uh, Intel is selling a proprietary product at commodity pricing. You know, it's just horribly unhealthy, but it's a part of the Cascade Lake ecosystem. They, using Optane, they can make the Cascade Lake perform a whole lot better, and they've got it wrapped up that the only processor that knows how to communicate with the Optane DIM is it's Cascade, Cascade Lake, Lake. Yeah. yeah, and so so AMD can't touch them there. And now all they have to do is wait for software to catch up that actually takes advantage of everything that Optane has to offer. So so where's Micron in all this? I thought they were going to do their own Optane SSD and and, and you know be you know full fledged partners and all this. Micron's stuff. in a really cool position because they no they're they're the only company that that is allowed to alternate source the Optane uh, products. And they also are manufacturing the chips for Intel, and so they know, and you know, they know how much uh, Optane is selling for in the marketplace. You know, that's pretty easy to. But they they know, yeah, absolutely precisely what it costs to make. They know costs. <laughs> they know market is what you're saying. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 and and so they know how much money Intel is losing, and. You know, Intel says, yeah, we'll lose a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there, but, you know, we'll make it up with Cascade Lake sales because, you know, they're they're right now it's on like their $10,000 and up processors. Um, but, uh, you know, Micron is sitting there saying, OK, we don't sell Cascade Lake processors. If we lose money, we lose money. And that's all there is to it. And so so they they have the enviable position of of having visibility into all of that stuff. And they're not introducing Optane until it, it has a clear path to profitability, which it doesn't have at this point. Hey, Keith, are you seeing a lot of uh, Cascade Lake uh, adoption in, in the market these days? Yeah, there's a deep, deep desire to uh, to have this capability, especially for analytics, specifically SAP. That's why Intel, I think Intel and, and SAP just uh, announced a huge joint partnership around basically optimizing SAP HANA for Cascade Lake and Intel Octane, uh, DC memory, uh, and customers want it. Uh, what, what customers are discovering is even with in-memory databases, uh, with the current DRAM design, they can ask questions that they thought of two or three years ago. And what they're discovering is that uh, those questions lead to bigger questions and they need bigger databases to answer them. And you, you, you just run into, you know, the, the, the limits of, of cost and physical space. So Cascade Lake is a, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, it's a real, it's, there's a real demand for it. So Intel has a really interesting and great opportunity, I think, for this loss leader for this, uh, for the uh, persistent memory to sell more Cascade Lake. And SAP, and then an example of SAP, they really control the heck 
out of the uh, certification for HANA uh, production workloads. So they can demand that, you know, customers have to have Cascade Lake to get wow. support. And wow. that's a pretty unique position to be. For all the server vendors. Right, right. That's interesting. Even operating system vendors. Yeah. Wow. I didn't hmm. realize that they did that. So what, how many layers are we talking about today? I, I, you know, I, we talked about 64 as being the, the, the place where they started to make some profits, but it seems like that's not standing still. I mean, you're switching gears. Optane is only two layers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So I'm, yeah, I'm talking 3D NAND. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah, I'll talk, talk 3D NAND with you. You know, we're, we're at a funny place right now because um, both um, – Hynix and Samsung have said that they've got things with more than 100 layers. But what is really happening is that um, pretty much everybody is starting to ship 96-layer product, except for Samsung, who has a 92-layer, I think it is. It's a very strange number. And, uh, you know, we're probably, you know, less than 10% 96-layers right now, with um, 64 layers being the bulk of the market. Hynix has a 72-layer product. I don't think anybody else has gone down that path. But what's interesting is that every year, um, the companies talk about what they think is the farthest out that they can go with these layers. And last year, people were talking about 500 layers, and you know that made everybody sit up and notice, hey, wow, you know, 3D NAND's gonna be around longer than we thought. And now this year, Samsung has mentioned 800 layers. So, yeah, you know, it, it's it's hard to figure exactly how far this technology is going to go. But we, one of those cool things about semiconductors, and it's probably true with your business too, systems business, is that everybody thinks that we're going to hit a brick wall somewhere and then some brainiac comes out and says, what if we do this? And all of a sudden, you know, you get an extra whatever, an extra mile added to your runway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the whole NAND business, quite frankly, has been amazing. I, you know, I thought SLC was great and MLC was going to be kind of iffy. And then TLC came along and now QLC is there. Gosh, I think I had 4D somewhere, but I haven't figured out what that is yet. Oh, but, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's another one. <laughs> that's the guy. It's another one of these marketing pitches, and that's Hynix. And they're basically saying, we're copying Micron, and but they wanted to make it sound like they had invented it, so they they gave it the moniker 4D. Um Okay. okay, your 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 people, you know, the, the people who are listening to this thing probably would have no interest in my website, The Memory Guy. But every April Fool's Day, I do April Fool's blog posts on The Memory Guy. And maybe five years ago, I um, announced that some researchers had come up with a 4D memory, that it, you know, grew in width and length and height, but also over time, then the number of bits in the memory increased. Um yeah, and oh. so that's what 4D means to me. But, you know, Hynix decided that they'd come up with a name and try using it again. And I'm just hoping that people like I think you should sue them for trademark infringement, or at least copyright infringement. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting people to look for the Hynix part and, and come oh, up on go. my blog there post. There you go. As, 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 the, <laughs> as the number one item in the search list and stuff like that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, but back to where you started before you got me on this rant about 4D as you were talking about, um, you know, MLC, TLC, QLC, and um, uh, both Toshiba and somebody, I think it might have been, no, Western Digital, talked about having um, five bits per cell. They called PLC for pentalevel cell. Yeah, 
And what that means is that uh, with, with, what is it now? With uh, QLC, you're putting 16 levels per bit cell. And with PLC, then you'd be putting 32 levels per bit cell. Um, it makes the parts very error prone and very noise sensitive. But if they can do it, then they can probably cut their costs by about 10%. And, you know, so that, that helps them wring further costs out of these things. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is, I, yeah, yeah, when they went from SLC to MLC, there was an endurance drop considerably. Yes. When we went from MLC to TLC, there was an endurance drop. Obviously, there's an endurance drop at QLC. Um, I'm sure the PLC, if such a thing, you know, ever went out there, there'd be an endurance drop. But what they seem to have been doing, though, is that because they've increased the capacity, you know, uh, let's say it's a, you know, 0.1 drive right per day, if it's, Rather than 30 terabytes, is now 50 terabytes. That's an awful lot of data. I'm not even sure you could write it that day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there there was an SSD company whose claim to fame was that the SSD had so much capacity that it was impossible to over to, to, to wear it out. And, you know, they're basically saying, we've got a bottleneck. Yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but they wouldn't want to talk about the bottleneck. They want to talk about the advantage the bottleneck provides. Yes, kind yes. Of thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, but... Um, you know, they're, they're, if they can get this, this cost out, then they might be able to put in a little bit extra over-provisioning and do that. But also, the business, the, the users are getting far more sophisticated. I remember not too long ago, you know, maybe five, six, seven years ago, that, that SSD manufacturers, the ones who are making enterprise SSDs, were getting into this, you know, great um, chest-beating contest about how uh, how many drive rights per day they could withstand in their SSDs. And guys got up to like 27 drive rights per day. And then uh, they started, uh, the, the users started getting more sophisticated and saying, well, we might need that for this application over here and we'll spend the money on that. But let's buy consumer SSDs for this application over here because we've measured it and it doesn't require an awful lot of drive rights. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing that that uh, the the requirements for drive rights per day seem to have dropped considerably. Yeah, yeah, and that's just because people are measuring their workloads, and which they never did before. You know, it was something with a hard drive you never had to do. Um, and so now that they're measuring it, then then they're saying, oh yeah, there's the most of our applications don't require an awful lot, and so it could be that PLC goes into something like that. There's one other thing I should mention about the the uh, SLC, MLC, all those things. That um, when when we before we went to 3D NAND, every time that you'd shrink the NAND chip to get the costs out, then the endurance would go down, and then you'd start doing this SLC, MLC thing. Then the endurance would go down. You know, for each one of those, how many bits per cell you're adding. With 3D NAND, you are no longer shrinking the size of the bit. You're just stacking more bits on top of each other, and so because of that, then then if you learn how to make PLC, then all of a sudden putting PLC into every single flash chip is really easy. And you know that you'll be able to do it for 96 layers, for, you know, 128 layers, for 256 layers, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think that we're probably going to go down that path. Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, you know, I was, we were talking to a, a vendor who remained nameless, but, the, you know, they're focused on QLC and they're focused on effectively, uh, they believe they can eliminate disk altogether because the economics of what they're doing with QLC and, and, and it's just, it's just amazing. You know, I told them I thought they were crazy. <laughs> Every, everybody has always done that. 
No, every everybody has always done that. Um, and and something that I find extraordinarily interesting is that Western Digital um, put out a chart. And Western Digital is um, you know the only company that is deeply invested in both hard drives and in SSDs. And so they don't have an axe to grind. They they are not trying to position one versus the other. And they put out a curve that went out through, I think it was 2028, that showed that there would always be a 10 times price difference between NAND flash and hard drive bits. On a per capacity basis. Yeah, I believe that to be the case. I mean, we've seen, you know, they've been trying to kill off tape literally since 1967. Right. Tape still exists. It's been it's been, you know, it's gotten to it. You know, it's no longer a backup solution. It's an archive and it's a cold solution. And now it's even a colder solution. But there's a there's a gap there. It's persisted between disk and tape. And the same thing's going to happen between NAND and disk, in my mind, for the foreseeable future. I just I, I just can't see it. I, I like to think back. I, I had a conversation at the Intel Developer Forum probably around 2000. 2008 with some folks at Toshiba, um, and they were asking, when do you expect for 50% of PCs to use SSDs? And I said, probably not for 10 years or more. <laughs> and they were floored because they thought it was going to be like one or two years out. Well, here we are, 2019, you know, um, and so th that's what, nine years later? And it's still not 50%. Well, and it's still it's just it's shipping millions and millions of disk drives every quarter. It's it's not it's not growing, but it's not it's not uh, it's not shrinking either. You know. No, the thing that did disappear was the enterprise hard drive business, the fifteen thousand RPM things, and that was you know a very ripe target for SSDs. It was very costly. They overprovisioned. They had to have more than they needed and stuff. And with an SSD, all that goes away. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing I found was kind of exciting at the at the show. There was a lot of PCIe switch vendors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the bottleneck. <laughs> when what what people are starting to do from a computer architecture standpoint, and I'm not you know that that good at this stuff, but they're they're talking right now a lot about NVMe over fabric. Um, the idea is that you have an array of servers and an array of solid state storage, and they can all communicate very quickly. And then how do you share those resources so that you can allocate things uh, to different tasks? And the way that they want to do that is over a fabric and you know have any server be able to communicate with any fast. It's this whole composable infrastructure thing that they've been, they've been pumping for uh, a couple of years now. It's getting more... Yeah. Um, more possible, more prevalent because uh, technology for PCIe fabrics is coming online. There's more PCI switching. There are more, you know, things like JBOFs, which are just a bunch of flash that are connected to a PCIe bus that, you know, now can be carved up and, and then given to whatever workloads you want. Gosh, I was talking to one guy, I think it was Dolphin Technology. I haven't never heard of these guys before, but they contend that they can, they can, do a composable infrastructure change where an SSD is actually sit, you know connected to on the fly. Mm -hmm. I said they're crazy. I, I thought that was the whole idea. Not so. <laughs> no, yeah, you can do this, but you almost have to, you have to boot reboot all the processors no. and and the servers. So every time you change the configuration of PCIe bus, you have to reboot the processors. They're saying they could do it on the fly. No. I said you're crazy. No. I mean, because you're you're changing connectivity between components on a PCIe bus. 
they call it renting rather than reconfiguring. <laughs> you know, it's something like it's like Airbnb for disks or something, or SSDs rather. It was, it was pretty bizarre. I did oh, it was some sort of specialized namespace thing that one group was talking about. I can't even think of what it was. Zoned namespaces. I'm I'm gonna have to think of who the vendor was. It's it's, it's almost like it's almost like PMR. It's almost like um, zone disks. So you have you have a zone of a disk that has certain capacity has to be written sequentially. There's another zone next to it that that has le- you know less capacity. It has to be written sequentially. So if you're if if you're willing to write sequentially to uh, you know PMR disk, it's PMR, uh, right? Isn't that the term? Yeah. No, no. There's SMR, which is shingled. Yeah, yeah. That's shingled magnetic recording. SM, SMR, SMR, yeah. Shingle, this is like shingle, the zone disk, now it's zone flash, effectively. It's 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 bizarre. And each zone could be owned by different, you know, I, I said, is this NBM name, name, and namespaces? No, it's beyond that. You take a namespace and you could, you can segregate it out. Yeah, I think that, 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 uh, you know, part of it too is that you can have different namespaces inside the same SSD. You know, it's an extension of streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that, but this zone namespaces is is a is a different game altogether. But it's bizarre. So yeah, the the show has gotten a lot larger of late. I, it seems I, it's it's gotten more successful. It seems like a lot more vendors are going there, and the vendors seem to be with bigger exhibits and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, there there has been a little bit of a change though. That Samsung and Micron and Intel weren't there this year. Um, yeah, you know, they had some whisper suites yeah. and stuff like that. But they, yeah. yeah, something something else that's kind of funny is that uh, well, you know, it's it's application of the health of the businesses that there was a fire there two years ago um, that closed the exhibit hall. So the exhibit hall was only open for a half a day out of the three days of the show. Um, that uh, you know that worried a lot of people, and it, it costed a lot of people money that the insurance companies still seem to be bickering over. Um, but, uh, you know, it didn't keep people away from the show that they're, these same exhibitors are still on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, you know, from my perspective, there's just too much componentry and, and technology and vendors floating around for me not to be at the show, quite frankly. It's just, yeah. it's just too interesting. All right. Well, this has been great. Um, do you have anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we leave, Jim? Uh, um, you know, if anybody's interested in chip stuff, come to me. <laughs> okay, and we'll put your website. You've got multiple websites, right? Yeah, there there is the regular business website, which is where we sell reports and, you know, introduce ourselves to the world and that kind of stuff. There are three of us. And then um, I've got a couple of blogs that I run. One is called The Memory Guy, which is about memory chips, and the other is called The SSD Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next time we'll talk with, uh, well, this has been great. Thank you very much, Jim, for being on our show today. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. Next time we will talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, please tell your friends about it. And please review us on iTunes and Google Play, as this will help get the word out. That's it for now. Bye, Keith. Bye, Jim. Bye, Ray. Bye, Keith. Until next time.